So welcome to the Tech Insights Podcast. I'm Amy Alexander. I do communications for Tech Titans, and I'll be your host. I'm sitting here with Tyson Harmon. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And we're going to talk about innovation today and how to how to cultivate that within our own organizations, what it looks like, how do we keep those uh, barriers out of our way, and just help us all be more innovative. So just to get us started, Tyson, why don't you tell us a little bit about what innovation means to you and why you're an expert to tell us how we're all going to establish I don't. I don't know any, if anyone's ever really truly an expert in innovation, <laughs> and I say that because innovation is about change. You're asking someone to change, either a little or a lot, right? And so a lot of change is about what the culture of the organization is and how you adjust that is going to be a function of who your people are. And so every kind of innovation program that I've seen in my career has obviously some common components of it. But at the end of the day, it's very uniquely designed around the culture of the organization. Sure. And that's great feedback. So... Um, so how do you get into How is your play in innovation? Yeah, so we're big players in innovation. So my career in the last 15 years has been incrementally involved in the innovation life cycle where when I left the military, I got involved in what's called advanced concepts and technology demonstrations, or as the military likes to say, ACTD program. So acronym <laughs> suit. Uh, and that was really about dual use technologies after September 11th to prevent terrorism attacks or to recover from you know, catastrophic types of events. And so started doing a lot of dual use technologies and experimenting with new technologies when I was at EDS. I was recruited to Gardner from that position. Sure. So I spent um, nine years at Gardner, uh, six of which running their innovation and emerging technology practice. Okay. So I had the perspective of working with hundreds of government and commercial organizations around the world around how they were establishing their innovation program and things that they could do to make them better and have more impact on the business value. I was recruited at that point to go to AstraZeneca where I was a tech fellow and established their innovation program. Uh, And then from there saw that there was some significant challenges within the marketplace and and five years ago launched a company called To The Edge where we specifically provide testing and experimentation as a service and so we support enterprises that are Tech Titans members uh, with their efforts to try to identify, test, and drive adoption of new capabilities. Got it. So you're into that. So you're more of a consultant in that kind of end? We are. We are a consultant that either augments an organization's existing innovation team, or in some cases, we are their innovation team. And I think that's interesting because as a, from a market, there's a lot of research out there that says most innovation practices last between two and four years before they're disbanded or changed or fundamentally you know, jettisoned in some cases. And so there's a lot of expense and cost to get an innovation team established. And so we saw a market opportunity to say, can you offer that as a service? And that was the position that we took several years ago. Awesome. So you're kind of more of an expert just in the innovation practice. So do you come in for short term or are you long term? As a service is, is is exactly the way we describe it, in that we support the full innovation lifecycle from ideation through establishing the ecosystem of suppliers that can deliver on the innovation to actually testing that up to the point where it's moving from 
a prototype into a product or an operational system. And so if a client wants us, the enterprise wants us to support one small portion of it, that's what we do. If they want to support the full life cycle, uh, it's a very variable model based sure. on the client's needs. Sure. So what have you found, um, like, uh, so in your breadth, and I'm, I may ask for examples, like nameless sure. examples right. of kind of saying, let's say we have an organization and they want to be more innovative, um, you know, without hiring you to pay big bucks, even though we'll encourage all of that, <laughs> of course, sure. but like, how do they, how do they encourage innovative practices within their own organizations? I, I think a lot of it boils down to the leadership of the organization. And a lot of Tech Titans members are leaders within their respective companies and business units. And I think that's critically important. I think number one, they have to establish that people are resistant to change. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of data that says that 60% of your organization will basically follow whichever way they're led. 30% of the organization will actually be your troublemakers, the people that come to you with those good ideas and want to go for it. 10% are intractable. Mm -hmm. They're just not gonna move unless you make them move. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think it's important to understand that your organization is lumpy in terms of their innovation tolerance and their willingness to innovate. I think number two is you gotta eliminate the barriers because barriers are really the challenge within enterprises. And I mean barriers such as, you know, do I have simplified processes for acquisition? Can I get through the acquisition process quickly to engage with a new supplier? Do I have funding? If I have a good idea, are we gonna do something about it or is it just gonna become a suggestion box? Um, how do I resolve conflict between innovation teams and operation teams. And there is inherent conflict mm -hmm. that comes from that process. And then how do I give people the, the, the kind of the, the structure that says, you can fail. Let's go trust and try something and it's not necessarily the end of the world. We're always going to learn something from going down this process. And so I think if you have those four key tenets in place, an organization can become innovative. But let me be clear, we work with some of our clients from the full five years, from our first clients or still clients today. They are still on this journey. Mm -hmm. It is not some digital transformation initiative that's two years and you're done. You're going to be you know, attacking and trying to change the culture in individual business units within business units and celebrating that success and allowing it to kind of cultivate across the organization is like any other massive change management process. It's going to take time, it's going to take commitment, it's going to take effort. And so those are some of the critical things that need to be, people need to be aware going into this, is that it's not a panacea, it's not something that you need to do for a year, it's something you need to do for multiple years, and you need to focus on delivering business value as quickly as you can, because that's the only way to sustain these programs, versus who are those people over there playing Xbox in a lab, right? What are they doing over there? So. You know, it's got to be tied back to if you're not delivering business impact on a continuous basis, you know, your longevity is going to be very short. So help me a little bit there because you talk about leadership. Is it a matter of changing your leadership and then creating a team, an innovation team within your organization? Is that some of where I'm here? There needs to be some catalyst. There needs to be kind of a focus, if you will, of the organization that if I have an issue, I can go see Amy. Sure. Right. And, and Amy's going to help me in this way to either facilitate an ideation session or to engage with an external ecosystem uh, or simplify the procurement process so that I can engage with these suppliers. There has to be a catalyst. And I think that's going to be critical. Now, 
we've learned these lessons, so I'm happy to share them. Sure. Uh, lots of scars. Our CIOs sure. and CTOs and business leaders that are going to be shaping these programs, the knives will come out when you have an innovative program that really, at the end of the day, will impact or stop a pet project. So we could easily find, and we've seen this, where there's a business problem that exists. It hasn't been solved. There may be a capital effort that's over three years to address it, but it's not really answering the mail from the business leaders. We've seen in that cases when you don't have that leadership to manage that, that conflict that exists in innovation, that at the end of the day, that's when innovation can stall considerably. And you have to set the, that expectation that all ideas are welcome, that if we have a solution to a problem, we'll evaluate it against a previously funded engagement to understand can we change course, um, and that we're going to hold accountable internal groups that are doing innovation versus what we can get from an outside you know, ecosystem of suppliers. Everyone has to operate under the same kind of guidelines, be held accountable to the same sets of rules and kind of expectations, and leaders are going to have to manage the conflict that is inherent in the innovation process. Got it. Does it help if there's a, like almost a cheer, a cheerleading team? I mean, it, it just feels like a, like almost a beatdown with these leaders. I mean, it's going to be hard to do and it's, you know, do they need a mentor to kind of do that sort of stuff? I think they need, I think, I think the, the technology leadership needs to have a mentor within the business. Sure. Because I think if we look at really the role of the CIO, right, his or her direct reports today, they have become not just, you know, back office, keep the lights on, IT operations. They're really about driving business value. And so if we look at the data across our 250 proof of concepts that we've executed for our clients over the last 30 months, 95% of the funding has all come from the business. The business has a, has a, has a problem. That, pro that problem has an ROI attached with it. And some of our clients, they say, don't work on anything that's less than $10 million of annual return. In other cases, it's much larger than that. So you've got to understand that the business is going to fund these initiatives. So it's really about how does the technology leader continue that partnership and that relationship with the business leader to solve their problems with agile solutions that sometimes bring in new capabilities and sometimes, you know, it's a simpler solution that just hasn't been implemented to this point. But to your point, there's the coaching that comes with those leaders about these lessons learned to establish, you know, the simplified process internally, but it's also about forming relationships with the business leaders to meet their expectations and their needs with, you know, solutions. And whether they're innovative solutions or not, you know, that's the linkage because the business has infinitely, generally infinitely more funding <laughs> sure. than IT. And so if it's a business problem that warrants it, that's the connectivity that, that technology leaders need in order to truly fund their innovation efforts. You know, and you talked about... Um, you have to have almost like a proof of success at some point. Do you at some point say, okay, these are the milestones mm -hmm. that we have celebration where we can sit there and say, all right, there's data attached to this and we yeah. need to make sure it happens within six months, within, you know, those kind of things. Oh, three months. Oh, three months. I'm sorry. Business leaders get distracted. They're busy people. They're executives. And so, you know, we've run into situations uh, that we've seen in the past 
uh, and this is one of the reasons we established some of this cadence model that we have for agile delivery, is that if you go back in six months to a business leader and say, you know, you know, Sally, we've got an answer for your problem, she's going to go, well, I've moved on to the next thing. I'm worried about the planning for next year. And so, you know, I think it's critical that we take some of the principles of Agile and we apply them to the innovation lifecycle. And so you want to try to shoot for 30 to 60 day increments of demonstrated capability that you can do. Sometimes it's in a lab. Sometimes it's an initial field test. Sometimes it's in a kind of you know, duct tape and bailing wire kind of 30 day or two day trial. In other cases, you're building towards hey, here's a prototype that we can put on this platform to collect this sensor data. And if, if through that process, you're delivering demonstrated results that this is something that you're validating the hypothesis, you're showing the business value that can be created, you're building the business case incrementally while you're doing this. And so not only is it a way to say, well, in 30 days, this didn't work so that we can abandon it, right? We can put it back on the shelf to evaluate later. But you can say we solved this. We solved this particular issue in the first thirty to sixty days. Now here's the next chunk and the next chunk. And we really like to describe things in answering four key questions through the innovation process. The first kind of proof of concept is: Is it possible? Does it violate the laws of physics? And we've tried to violate the laws of <laughs> physics, and, and and you know, expectedly for our listeners, we failed. But it really is about, you know, this is, this is cutting edge technology that's coming out of the labs or maybe applied radically different. Those are used generally lab experiments where we're collecting data, trying to solve this particular problem. So does, is it even possible to do what we're trying to do? Uh, the second stage of it, is it capable? Meaning, can it deliver business results, right? Not that it's a, you know, technology capability or it can integrate or it's secure, but can it deliver business results? Because we know Many times, something that works in a low-use case or in isolation doesn't support an enterprise deployment. After that, you can reverse the last two, but the next question is, is it scalable and is it reliable? And this gets into where you're really bringing into the innovation process people like your security architects, your infrastructure architects, your application architects. This is really about taking that concept, that prototype that you're developing, and thinking about how is it going to scale? How is it going to integrate? As you go through that process and you answer those questions, obviously each one comes with a little bit more complexity, a little bit more cost, but there's a stage gate process that allows you to focus and control your innovation spending on things that you've proven have the ability to drive business value. Sure. And so having that incremental approach where you're constantly delivering value to the organization uh, is critically important. I'll, I'll add one final point in that it also is critical that as you do these experiments, you do them with the end users that you're hoping will use this technology. Sure. Because in that way, you're socializing change. They know it's coming. They feel a part of that change. Sure. And more, and I think everybody understands listening is you're going to get good feedback, user sure. requirements and feedback. So that's something that we generally know, but we don't necessarily design that into our experimentation process, and it, those are critical components. So you're building business value, you're demonstrating the business case, you're socializing change, and you're also making sure that the solution can fit you know, and drive adoption down the road. Sure. Can we get into like a case use or something that you think is interesting? You know, not necessarily with anybody's name, but yeah, sure, sure. This is, this is someone who had a problem, this is how they solved it. 
So uh, there's several big problems <laughs> that are out there. Um, we have a client in the media right now who is attempting to really push the boundaries of next generation machine learning. I'm sure. not a big fan of the AI term. Sure. <laughs> sure. It's not necessarily descriptive of what really is involved in, in delivering those solutions. And the goal there is they want to be able to have a computer, right through computer vision, look at an image and be able to not only understand the individual components or objects of those and classify them, that's a bottle, that's a coffee cup, that's a microwave, that's a man, that's a woman. But more importantly, what is the relationship between those objects? And therefore, what's the emotional meaning of the overall image? That has not been done before sure. in different pieces and places, so we're pushing that. On the flip side, they want to be able to not only take natural language processing capabilities, uh, to understand that's an entity, mother, father, you know, political affiliation, policy issue, whatever those cases may be, but understand sarcasm, sure. humor across multiple language, highly complex. So, so an example would be a far side cartoon. Sure. Can a computer understand a far side cartoon? Well, sometimes <laughs> I can't understand a far side. Right. Computer. So e extremely complex for what we have today, and so we move through this experimentation process where. In this case, we ran an anonymous RFP. We, we were kind of like an intel agency where we don't disclose who our clients are. Sure. In a lot of cases, we write documents that people have no idea what this is for because the client doesn't want anybody sure. to know what they're doing. Sure. <laughs> it's that transformative. And so we created a representative data set and we had many vendors, two of them which are here in Texas, uh, that actually responded back with what they could do and how their systems could analyze that data. And that showed us that they could understand you know, objects within images, they could do some of the entity extraction and some of the linking and using some very advanced graph theory to be able to draw correlations between objects and events uh, that can be doing it. That was on representative data. So we were able to call the supplier list down from that point. And now we've worked with them on actual representative client data. Mm -hmm. So obviously most media companies have treasure troves of images and, and text and copy that they've written. So providing select portions of that to demonstrate what they can have. Now that we've shown that they can meet that next bar, we're now moving them into the, uh, the, the possibility of actually performing and, and building a prototype system that's going to have user experiences. And at the end of the day, you can imagine that you still need the human in the loop, so the supervised machine learning capability will be the next kind of critical thing that we test, is how can the computer system provide at least initial recommendations on matches? And then subsequently, how can a human who is involved and has that tacit knowledge about how things go together, um, that will be able to learn from that human's interaction with the, those two pieces of content uh, to create new media artifacts, and obviously, you know, this could be tremendously disruptive within the industry. And we, you know, again, it's creating something net new that doesn't exist in the marketplace. So this has also been a forerunner to a major business transformation effort that recognizes that machine learning is going to be critical to the enterprise overall for different lines of businesses and different markets and different activities. And so as we've run through this experimentation process, We've also been feeding the results back to the larger transformation. So we're scouting ahead to mm -hmm. determine, you know, there's been some bigger name consultants say things that aren't frankly true and that this program has, has been able to prove or disprove 
kind of where the state of the market is in computer vision applied to this particular sense of media, or where natural language processing is when it applies to this set of copy. And it really is informing a much broader transformation initiative. Uh, and so that's just been over the last six months, all that's happened over the last six months. So. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. <laughs> well, to, to, would you mind thinking through a um, case study where either you talk about failing early or they talk mm -hmm. about failing early, maybe yeah. what that looks like and how do you create that as a net positive in any process? So we're talking about augmented reality. Hot sure. topic, a lot of people are doing augmented reality right now. And so we've done several augmented reality proof of concepts. I think we're now at 22 mm -hmm. of that portfolio has been around augmented reality. And as we've done it, what we found is that it is a very narrow demographic. And let's just be clear. When we did the first proof of concept, it was in 30 days. What we found as one of the critical outcomes of that was that the, the hardware hadn't caught up to the software, right? It was cumbersome to where you're talking about holding a tablet up to do some maintenance operations and provide, you know, obviously system data or mechanical or maintenance data on top of that engine block or whatever the case may be. And so that worked, but we're talking about a tablet. So then you think about how do I operationalize this in a mechanical environment? Do I need augmented reality goggles? How much do those weigh? What type of communication do I need? And so by doing a very simplistic proof of concept where we took basically uh, some maintenance procedures, loaded it in with some data associated with that particular piece of equipment to include images, show us that what it could do, right? Is it capable of doing it? Yes. But we learned from that the, the, the challenges of how do you scale that technology. What was fascinating by that is what we learned and why we fa it failed because it wasn't a path to operationalize it. It was, a, it was hard to implement that solution. And it wasn't because of the software, it was because of the hardware and the communications. But more importantly, it took us a year to work with the OEM to get the maintenance data from their CAD-CAM models. Oh, good grief. Because they hadn't separated the models, they haven't been able to use those. And so one of the benefits of a failure was mm -hmm. We knew what it was, what would be required to make that operational deployable. That was augmented reality headsets, certain field of view, all those criteria came out to say, this is when these triggers are met, we can roll this forward. Secondly, in all of their enterprise contracts to their OEMs, they inserted language about using appropriate CAD CAM data for not only augmented reality, but for 3D printing. Mm -hmm and solve that intellectual property rights and, and usage rights in their contract contracts. They also started to do a content management strategy. Sure. Because if you don't have the content, how are you gonna present the content in any form but augmented sure. reality? So that proof of concept, which was 30 days to execute, mm -hmm. a year to <laughs> get yeah. the data, right, published a change of their contracting and negotiation strategy initiated a content management approach, identified the wireless infrastructure needed within their maintenance operations to be able to support this type of things, began changes in their SAP environment to orchestrate process that would come from augmented reality, and a set of criteria or hardware triggers that they would be watching for in the marketplace so that they had all these precursors or dependencies in place, and then when the hardware caught up to where they, what they needed it to be, they could deploy it rapidly. 
So that's an example where you tested something that was very hot, you know, a no-brainer. If I can overlay maintenance data on top of, you know, Southwest Engine Repair, you know, American Airlines or Peterbilt, you know, people that are here in the Dallas Fort Worth area, you know, I can provide a lot of value. But we learn from that all these other components that need to be in place, and we're able to direct kind of capital funding and activities that said we need to prepare for this in this way. Because once the hardware gets here in the next 24 to 36 months, we're going to be positioned versus the hardware's here. We're now going to try to implement it. And now we have to play this giant catch-up game that will delay us another two or three years. So it's that one we learned, you know, from, from it wasn't a failure of the technology, but it was really about what do we need to accomplish and have in place to drive enterprise deployment. Sure. Does that that makes That makes yeah. sense. I'll tell you what. This has been very dense information, so I'm thinking about giving you one last shot for a big wrap-up question. Okay. But then maybe we can come back in a little bit um, and and maybe tackle in some details. Um, why don't you go ahead and is there any other question you want to deal with or? I think for our listeners when they're talking about this, sure. What they need to focus on today in capital planning is. Do you have budget assigned for innovation next year? Do you have discretionary funding to do testing and experimentation? We're not talking about a lot of money here. If you allocated between a half million and a million and a half dollars, which for most of our clients is not that much money, (laughs) you could easily do between five and 10 experiments with your suppliers. And that, if you don't have the funding to kick off, you know, you're in strategy planning right now, you're in budget season right now, put a wedge in for innovation. If you don't have the resources internally or externally to do this, you're going to wait a whole nother year until you're able to do that. So put an innovation wedge in so that you're prepared for next year. Well, that's great information. I'll tell you what, listeners, if you think of another question you'd like to ask Tyson, and I'm going to say shoot it over to me, and then we can make it um, part of our next conversation. Um, The email address is amy at techtitans.org. Otherwise, I'll say thank you for this great amount of information that we now have to digest (laughs) and wrestle with before we take on another conversation. You're quite welcome. Happy to help. All right. Thanks again.